Welcome to Merge Church on this beautiful fall Sunday. So good to have you in the house. My name is Jacob. Those of you joining us online, welcome. Those of you in the room, man, so good to see your smiling faces, to get to hug your neck, shake your hand, give you a high five, and let you know how much we really genuinely love and care about you. Man, it's been an exciting week here at the church. You know, we set out 500 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Y'all snatched them up like that. This week, we also had an opportunity to sponsor around 25 kids locally and take care of their Christmas so that they know that they're loved and valued and cared for. And we get to do all of these things because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness to the house. And what I really want to celebrate is we do have our next step, and we're going to be talking about that over the coming weeks. But I want you to know that ministry doesn't stop our heart for others outside this house. Never even slows down just because we have something like that going on. We exist to lead people to new life in Christ, period, the end, and we'll do whatever it takes to make that Happen. So thank you guys for your generosity. We're kicking, wrapping up this series, not kicking it off, wrapping up this series, Battlegrounds. It's been a series that I've really enjoyed, that I pray it has helped you. But maybe this is the first message that you're catching in the series. That's okay. I want you to know this. The fight for our future matters, and it occurs in our mind. What you think matters. Your thoughts are like trains. They're taking you somewhere, and so we understand that there's a battleground in our mind and that we fight, everybody say fight, Fight. for our future. We fight for our future. How you think determines how you feel, and how you feel determines what you do. It's basketball season at my house. All three of the kids are playing And so one of the things that I take great joy in is getting everybody basketball shoes. I love to buy shoes even if they're not for me. And and, and I like to let my kids pick out their shoes no matter how outlandish or ridiculous. I may think they look. I like to let my kids pick out their shoes. Why? Because if you look good, you think you look good anyway. You feel good. If you feel good, you play good. There's a battleground that goes on in our minds. And so we fight for our future in and through our minds, but we live in a society of panic. We have panic moments every single day, this causal connection where we think about one thing and we think of all the reasons it's going to go bad, everything that's going to go wrong. My family and I, we're we're getting on an airplane tomorrow. And those of you that know me, you know that I don't like airplanes, okay? I don't know the pilot, so I don't trust the pilot, okay? Like, who's the stranger in the cockpit? Like, I don't know what that dude did last night. I don't, I don't know what's going on in his life. He may be distracted, but I do know this. I'm at his or her mercy. I'm stuck with them. And so I woke up today. And I thought about everything that could go wrong tomorrow. Like, what if we're late? What if we don't? What if, what if our bag's overweight? Like, like what, if, what if we show? And I have a, a literal contingency plan for how I'm going to drop them off, check them in. I'm going to be in online. I'm going to print the text. Like, I have plans for plans for plans, all of which are based out of panic because I think of every reason it could go wrong. 
Like, I don't think, you know what, we're going to wake up on time and the kids are going to be in a great mood and we're going to get to the airport on time and I'm going to find an up-close parking spot and the check-in lady, she's going to be sweet and kind and loving. (laughs) We're going to get on the plane. It's going to smell good. It's going to be the perfect temperature. Like, we don't have this tendency to think positively. We have this tendency to panic, to think about all of the negativity, all of the things that could possibly go wrong, especially in the holiday season. We plan and we plan and we plan because we just know something is going to go wrong. It's a panic. It's a threat. It's fear. It's a mind game that the enemy plays. But as believers in Christ Jesus, we have an opportunity to abandon the mind games and to inherit a mindset. And it's a mindset that God wants us to inherit where we realize our mind is a battleground and that we have divine weapons to win with. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war. Everybody say war. War. It's a battleground. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought And we make it obedient to Christ. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set, a mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Everyone say death. But the Mind governed by the Spirit is life. Everybody say life. Life. And peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. I remember being a kid and growing up going to Lake Tenkiller. It was like our most favorite thing to do. It's where we spent vacations. It's where we spent weekends. It's just what we did. And there's this one particular bluff at Lake Tenkiller. And for those of you that are familiar with the lake, it's the bluff where there's like the swing underneath and it's got a little bit of a a concave in it. And I remember jumping off of this bluff from an age at which it was completely unacceptable that my parents let me jump off of this bluff. (laughs) Bad parenting, okay? (laughs) Like heckling your kid and calling him Benny Stonehands. (laughs) And we would take our friends to to this, and, and it's one of those bluffs that's deceptive. When you're pulling up to it, it doesn't look like it's very tall, but by the time you actually climb up the trail and you get to the edge of it, you realize... That boy's a little bigger than I thought he was going to be. You know what I'm saying? And I had this one friend, man, he's a guy I lived with all through college, great guy, absolutely brilliant, too smart for his own good. And so my friend Jake, he gets up and he looks over the edge of that dude and he looks at me and he looks over the edge of that dude and he looks at me and I'm like, yeah. He says, y'all go first. (laughs) Now that seems like the logical thing to do. Until you realize none of your friends are with you anymore. They're all at the bottom and you're alone at the top. And I'm telling you, this dude backed up and he ran and he stopped. And he backed up and he ran and he stopped. 
If he did it once, he did it 10 times, thinking about everything that could possibly go wrong if he took his next step. And we as a church talk constantly about our next step, and we do it because we understand that faith is a journey, that relationship with Jesus is a path, and we have to continue taking our next step no matter where we are so we don't live a life of panic. We don't live a life according to the flesh, but we live surrendered to the Spirit so that we can inherit God's mindset of victory, of goodness, of life and peace for our individual selves. See, the enemy doesn't have to kill you or imprison you. He just has to get your mind convinced that you cannot take the next step. And you and I can be defeated by an enemy weaker than us if our minds aren't right. Say it, an enemy weaker than us. Yeah, we have this tendency to overinflate the devil. We have this tendency to allow him to have a stronghold in our lives that says, My goodness, I just don't know. But scripture is abundantly clear that when the Son of Man died and he rose again, that the enemy was defeated once and for all. And Ephesians 6 and 16 reminds us of this. It says this, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's a reminder that you and I can defeat the enemy in our life if we have the right mindset. But we live like the great team that loses to the bad team. It's one of the beautiful things about this season that we're living in, if you're a sports fan, is there's always a game, and you never know who's actually going to win until the game is finished. I've noticed this. When a really good team loses to a really bad team, it almost always starts with one smart mouth. There's one guy on the bad team that begins to just talk trash, begins, to, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You ever been on a great team and you're going to play the bad team and the bad team has nothing to lose, but they got that one punk? You know, I mean, like before the tip-off, he's talking about your mama and your girlfriend. Like, he's asking where your family is because he's going to go to Thanksgiving at their house after he whoops your butt. You know, like, just, it always starts with just one guy mouthing, just one guy chattering, one guy creating distraction and noise. Now, this is an individual that the good team has five players better than that one guy. Yet, somehow, when... The mind games start to get played. The good team loses its mindset. And all of a sudden, they find themselves defeated by a lesser enemy. The devil works in the same way. You and I have to understand that we have the literal victory of Jesus Christ covering our lives. That we don't have to play mind games. We can inherit a mindset of victory that gives us an opportunity to win in the battleground of our mind as we fight for our future, not with weapons of this world, but with divine weapons that have the ability to demolish strongholds and take captive every single thought as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. So just a few thoughts that I pray will help you today. 
First is this, don't let the temporary become permanent. Thoughts are fleeting. They're short-lived. They're temporary. They're in your head, and they're back out of your head. It's why you and I have to understand that Christ is permanent, and our thoughts are temporary. So don't let the temporary thought become greater than the permanence of Christ. Our weapons, as the scripture tells us, have divine power. Divine meaning what? Of God or from God? Last time I checked, God's never lost. So our weapons are coming from, are of an undefeated, risen Savior. The mind governed by the flesh leads to death, but the mind governed by the Spirit leads to life and peace. See, the mind governed by the flesh is playing mind games. The mind governed by the spirit is getting a divine mindset, an undefeated, an unconquerable mindset that says, I will not allow strongholds, a negative pattern of thinking to lead me down the wrong path. I'll continue taking my next step towards Christ. I'll put it to you like this. Mind games come and go, but mindsets remain. And we have this tendency to fall for the mind games because we're obsessed with what our eyes see rather than what our hearts believe. We're obsessed with what our senses can take in, what our eyes can see, what our ears can hear, what our mouths can taste, what our nose can smell, rather than standing on what our hearts believe. But a mindset is unchanging. A mindset is internal, not external. A mindset doesn't waver, doesn't falter, doesn't blow with the wind. A mindset is solid and lasting, meaning a mindset has to be connected to, received from someone solid and lasting, Jesus Christ. And we think about this passage in Romans. And it seems like there's a choice. I can live a life surrendered to the flesh, which will lead me to death, or I can live a life surrendered to the power of the Spirit, and I can receive life and peace. It seems like a choice, but is it? Is it really? Like if I handed you two cards and one said death and one said life and peace, like do you have to think long and hard about it? This isn't like walking the cereal aisle at the grocery store, right? Where you're just like, oh my gosh, there's marshmallows in all of it now. Look at this. Which one do I want to choose? Why do we live our lives like, 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 there's, like there's really a choice? This is easy, right? Life and peace or death. Life and peace or death. Life and peace in my relationships, or death, life and peace in my finances, or death, life and peace at my workplace, or death. I understand that's an oversimplification, but the gospel is actually quite simple. 
If you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ and take up your cross every day, what you will receive is the opposite of what it appears. The cross is a mechanism of death, but from it you will receive life and peace, and no longer will you be bound by death. The choice has to become a mindset where you go, no, 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 I understand, enemy, that you're chattering, that you're talking trash, that you want me to lose, but this isn't a choice. I'm not going your way. That leads to death. I want life and peace. It isn't really a choice. So don't let the temporary become permanent. And when I say don't let the temporary become permanent, we can very easily reduce our life to a singular decision. One thing that we hold on to, like one wrong decision, and all of a sudden we make this assumption that it defines the rest of our life. One temporary decision that, yes, we may suffer consequences from, but one decision, and we allow it to become permanent in our life. The only thing that we should allow to become permanent in our life is the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And our surrender to him and who he is. Don't let the temporary become permanent. Second thought is this. It's time for our minds to work for us. Put your mind to work for you, for your next step, for where you're headed in your journey. Studies show that we have around 60,000 thoughts a day. Studies also show that 70% of those thoughts are naturally negative. According to the flesh, 70% of our 60,000 thoughts a day are naturally negative. And when I read that, I thought, that cannot possibly be true. And then I started walking through my day. And I thought about every thought that naturally entered my mind and how many of them were negative. How many of them were were just thoughts of frustration, thoughts of angst, thoughts of anxiety, thoughts of what could go wrong? When's the last time you went through a drive-thru? You pull up and if there's a single car in front of you, you naturally in the flesh have a negative thought, right? You ever go to a coffee shop and you pull up behind somebody and they don't know what they want? You can order on an app in advance so the rest of us don't have to hear you ask all of the questions. You start thinking negative, right? Like it just, when you really back up, which is why we have to take captive every thought. We take captive every thought because 70% of them are naturally negative. So we have to understand the filter and the guardrails that have to be in place in our mind for us to live a life of next steps, of moving towards Christ, of positivity, of goodness. And I read this statistic and I naturally was like, Gosh, dog, man, 70% of 60,000, that's the average, right? So some of you, it's like, it's higher. 
And I thought, so many negative thoughts. Like, and then I thought negatively about the statistic. I'm like, good Lord, how are we ever going to win? And I had to shift and go, hold on. That's 60,000 opportunities a day to win. That's 60,000 opportunities to make my thoughts obedient to Christ, to the knowledge of God. That's 60,000 battles going on in my mind every single day for which I have divine weaponry from God so that I can win the war that is being waged inside my mind. It's 60,000 opportunities to chalk up a victory. And I want to encourage you, if you could just get to 30,000 and one positive thoughts, it would radically transform your life. It would radically change the way that you view the world. No longer would you see problems, but you would see opportunities. No longer would you see negativity, but you would see life and joy and peace. And you would see moments where you could genuinely interact and intercede and see kingdom come in and through your life. No longer would you run up to the edge of the cliff and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. You would run up and say, I'm going to step off. And I'm going to enjoy something miraculous in my life. But to win this, we have to begin to change who we allow to make suggestions in our life. Any of you have like a streaming app, Prime, Apple TV, Hulu? It makes suggestions for you on what you should view next. Don't play coy with me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Make suggestions for you. You know, most people never get past the suggestions. Like we just accept it as true. Like they have to, the algorithm has to know better than me. If I watch that, then this has to be the next. You know that there are tens of thousands of shows and documentaries and movies embedded within these streaming apps, yet we just live in this tiny little suggestion box where we just keep, yes, I'll take that one. it's, It's easy. It's convenient. It's right there in front of me. We naturally take suggestions everywhere we go. The same people that pull up through the drive-thru and they don't know what to order and they obviously didn't order in advance. You want to know what I love to hear them say? Just make me whatever you like. I'm like, yes. You don't know what you want anyway. Take the suggestion. Do we ever stop, hit pause, and go, you know what? God really does know what I need next. Like the creator knows what I need next. He knows the next step that I need to take, so I'm going to give my life to him. It's so important that we get to this place because if we could do all of this alone, we would have already done it. It's why we need the Holy Spirit to be ever-present and to have full reign and authority in our life. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, 
They have their mind set on what the spirit desires and the mind governed, governed, governed. It lends itself to a concept that it has to be an election. Has to be voted in. You have to cast the vote that says, Holy Spirit, you get to govern my mind. Holy Spirit, you are the filter. Holy Spirit, I'm going to take your suggestions in my life. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And for some of us, we have so much clutter that until we begin to clean out our minds, we're never going to be able to see what we really value. We're in a season of declutter at my house. It's embarrassing how much stuff you have when you actually start going through it all. And my wife, she's been cleaning out all of our closets. I don't know how many trips she's taken to Goodwill, but it's a lot. She even made me get rid of shoes. (laughs) She did. 20 pair. Mm -hmm, I can tell you their names. They're gone forever. I didn't take them. I couldn't do it. Here's what's really crazy. As you clean out your closet, two things happen. The first thing is you find some things that you actually value that you didn't realize you still had. When you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to clean out your mind and you begin to live submitted to the Holy Spirit, and allow the Spirit to govern, what happens is you find some things that you had forgotten about that are really, really valuable. Maybe it's a date night for you married people, and you'd forgotten about it. You remember how good it was whenever you were intentionally dating your spouse, right? Maybe you find some extra generosity, And you're like, you know what? I haven't been living a life of generosity. Like, I I haven't been stepping into taking that next step. Maybe, Maybe you remember a time when you were more patient, kind, loving, forgiving. And you find it again, and you're like, no, that's who I really am. I'm not negative. I'm not down. I'm not out. Like, that's who I am. And I've found it again, but you won't find it until you begin to declutter. The second thing that happens when you declutter, this one might be even more exciting. You make room for some new stuff, (laughs) some new thoughts, some new positivity, some new joy, some new life, some new peace. But until you get rid of all of the garbage, all of your thoughts are so crammed together that you have a difficult time separating the good ones from the bad ones, the life-giving ones from the ones that lead you to a place of negativity and death. So we've got to make room for those thoughts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 puts it really beautifully. Two things that we can do as we wrap this up. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight
two things. Two things we see beautifully illustrated. The first is this, trust God. What a simplistic concept. What an easy statement, but what a hard step to actually take. This week wasn't one of my most favorite weeks in my life, if I'm being honest. My great-grandmother, she went to be with Jesus this week, 101 years old. Pretty impressive. Y'all are stuck with me for a long time. (laughs) And as I was prepping the message for her celebration of life, this point really began to stick out at me, and I had written the outline for this message weeks ago, but it just began to just speak to me like, do you really trust me? Is what it felt like God continued to ask me over and over and over because in moments of what seems like death, the question is, do we really trust God? Because if we do, we recognize that it isn't death, it's new life. Do you really trust me? And I know this, God is trustworthy. And I know because I read the scripture, and and I want you to see this perspective. God has laid out his whole story for us. Why? So that we can know all of him. Not a thin, feel-good portion of who he is, but so that we can know the universe creating, life-giving, death-defeating, world-sustaining God that he really genuinely is. So we look for him, and when we do, we find him. And when we find God, we begin to understand deeper realities of who he is, and we begin to trust him more as we submit ourselves more to who he genuinely is. And as we do, you know what happens? Strongholds begin to demolish. And thoughts are taken captive because you're operating in the divine weaponry that he has for you. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to trust. You know, to trust God, I have to step. To trust God, I have to step out of the boat and see if I'll really sustain on top of the water. To trust God, I have to be willing to take my next step to see if he really genuinely shows up where and when and how he says he will. I've got to be willing to step to really trust him so I trust God. And the second thing that we have to do, this one's tough, is we have to renounce our self-reliance. I don't know about you, but this is a hard one for me because I think I can figure it out and I think I can find all of the answers and I am a problem-solving machine. So God, if you would just get out of my way for a little bit, I'll take care of this one. I know the answer. I know how to do it. But to live with life and peace, I have to renounce my self-reliance. I have to let go of thinking I have all of the answers. You know, my buddy Jake, he kept running up to that cliff. Boy, and he would stop and he, he'd back up. He'd shake his head every time he backed up. Like, you know, he was just thinking, y'all are idiots. And he'd run up there. 
And then finally, you know what happened? He took his next step. Finally, he ran up and he said, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I'm going to take my next step. And I'm going to jump in. And I would love to tell you it was a thing of beauty. It was not. He was underwater so long we thought he did. But he took his next step. And you know what? It became easier the next time. And the next time. And the next time. Why? Because he renounced his own logic. The negative thoughts that were permeating his mind. And he said, you know what? I'm going to step into something new. I'm going to step into a great adventure in my life. Jake was terrified to jump. But we convinced him that it was time. It's important that we understand this final thing. Strongholds. Negative patterns of thinking become footholds. Your next step begins in your mind. Your next step begins with you genuinely saying, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to renounce all of the reasons I shouldn't do it. All of the reasons that this could go wrong, I'm going to renounce all of that. I'm going to take captive the thoughts. I'm going to make them obedient to the knowledge of God. I'm going to take my next step. Because what I'm thinking begins to determine my path. And so I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And I lean not on my understanding. In all of my ways, I submit to him. And I know that he will make my path straight. Here's my point. Sometimes you just have to jump in. Sometimes you just got to jump in to get in the water, to get in the game, to begin making a difference. Not just in your life, but in the lives of those that are around you you got to take a step to win the battleground of your mind. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We glorify you, and we lift you up in this place. And God, I pray for those that struggle to inherit and to live in your mindset of victory. God, I pray that right here, right now, that they would begin to take captive all of the thoughts that are in their mind, and God, that they would not allow a stronghold to be a foothold. God, I pray that you would just speak to them and reveal yourself to them so that they would trust you more. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all across this place. If you would just say like, hey, Jacob, man, the battleground of my mind, that's a tough place. I have a tendency to view things in the wrong way, have a tendency to be negative. I have a negative outlook. I'm struggling right now. Would you just slip your hand up for me? Just right there where you are. Thank you, guys. Everybody look up at me real quick. We're going to worship here in just a moment. But you know the thing that gave my friend Jake the, the willingness to jump off the cliff was that he had encouragement from all of us we were supporting him we were loving him we were valued. we were cheering him on like you can do it and sometimes you just need some people to encourage you sometimes you just need some people to love you and to support you and so right now it's exactly what we're going to do would you stand to your feet all across this place we're going to worship 
And as we worship, I just want to create space. There's no pressure. It's nothing like that. But if you say like, yeah, you know what? My hand was up or my hand should have been up. We would value the opportunity to just pray with you. And so as we begin to sing, I just encourage you, man, take a step forward. Come up to these altars. Don't let a stronghold be a foothold in your life. Allow us to come around you and to encourage you and to support you so that you have what it takes to jump into your next step on this faith journey. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. And God, we're here to worship you. We're here to encourage one another, to pray for one another in this place. We give you all of the praise, honor.